This is the final boarding call for the express train to Minneapolis, now leaving on track 26. Good night, sweet prince. Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast with me, Chris Schreier. And my wonderful co-host, Miss Mandy Murphy. Mandy, talk, say hello. Just realizing my music's a little too loud here. One second. Hello, how's it going, Jack Johnson? It is 100% Jack Johnson (laughs) with G-Love singing Rainbow. Beauty. Good track. Good track. You got any tunes pumping? No, I can't focus on that many things at once. I see. Fair enough. I couldn't be doing this listening to, like, another podcast or something that would... It would just drive me mad. I like but. to give you my undivided attention, Chris. Well, don't I just feel like a jackass now? <laughs> Mission accomplished. Wicked. Um, so we should do some catching up. It's been a while. Been a little bit longer than our normal two-week interval. And that is mostly my fault because I have been in my compulsory training to become a mailman. And as of about... 12:40 p.m. today I was done so I'm now what they call work ready or job ready and in theory could get a call tomorrow morning to go deliver the mail That's it's fun how's the training happen, been yeah. Um well it's uh 5 days of in class followed by 5 days job shadowing followed by uh 3 more days in class I can say with no reservation, the job shadowing was fantastic. I had an amazing guy to be shadowing. He was like a 30-year veteran, um, just a great, solid guy. Very pragmatic, but played by the rules and everything you want. So that was great. The in-class stuff, um, the content certainly prepared me for that job shadowing experience, but it was the usual sort of painful corporate-y training stuff. Uh, and then the subsequent three days, one day was mostly testing, which was fine. It was neither here nor there, but, uh, yesterday particularly was made the entire first five days look like pure joy. And, uh, as if I was participating in some sort of higher education at some sort of Ivy league, uh, program, because yesterday was just horrific. But uh, today was a lot better and uh, and it was short today. So and it's all done now. So I'm feeling very good about it all. That's good. Any big surprises in the training? Hmm. Um, not really. No, it's I think a lot of people were surprised in the class by how much stuff uh, posties actually do now um, in terms of delivery because they do parcels and packets and kind of anything that comes to your door pretty much um but uh, i didn't find that particularly surprising myself so yep no nothing much pretty uh pretty chill i was pretty impressed today the the morning the first three hours was a course they kept calling human rights and i thought they were just being goofy and talking about human resources but they weren't it was actually a program on obviously um they're pretty big on uh, having an inclusive workforce um but uh i was pretty impressed both with the uh, uh, the content it was it was a well laid out and um, a very timely uh, uh, 
course, but also, and I, and I confess here that I'm as bad as uh, many when it comes to this sort of thing. It was co, um, uh, co-facilitated by uh, the woman who'd been training us pretty well the whole time uh, and a fellow who was also a letter carrier, but uh, it, it had some sort of part-time role with uh, the union. And so the point is the course is a split course between uh, corporation and union. And mm. just hearing the guy at first and honestly, just my, my kind of immediate uh, prejudgment was that he might have been a bit of a good old boy and maybe he was but he also proved to be uh, very very uh, sensitive and dealt with the subject matter with uh, tact and and uh, and grace and I was very uh, I was very impressed with him and and not a little uh, sheepish at my initial snap judgment of what I expected him to be like so we all learned something today there you go. That sounds yep. like uh, that sounds like some really solid onboarding. You should be all set for your new job. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I, I'm feeling pretty. I know it's going to be a bit of a disaster. You know, the first couple of times out because you know you're always kind of crap at something when you're doing it for the first time. Of course, yeah, it's natural. But uh, but I'm I'm confident I've been equipped and uh, and can can handle it. So, what have you been up to while I've been off? doing all sorts of things i know you've been parking illegally in the laneway oh leave me alone when i'm uh, loading and unloading groceries or cases of beer or whatever at the brewery i stop in front of the uh stop in front of the garage door where i shouldn't unwag stuff and unload and uh chris ran into me one day where i was parked illegally loading or unloading something or other uh gave me a hard time about it but it's usually me giving uh customers a hard time about it because we're trying to be respectful of the neighbors so um, yeah <laughs> to be fair i actually think there is because it's not no stopping it's a no parking area mm-hmm. i believe you are actually allowed uh to to uh, stop in the area if you are literally just loading or unloading uh business related merchandise no no yeah you're you're right you get a 10 minute period for that because we get yep. tickets all the time well, not we tori our delivery driver gets tickets all the time and we fight them because you you are allowed to get you are allowed to stop for 10 minutes if you're making a delivery yep fun fun in civic uh what are these they're not really laws they're statutes or something anyway well let me do one of these we'll get into it right here good sound isn't it that sounds fantastic what did you open well i'm gonna i was gonna make you guess if it's a bone shaker i'm hanging up <laughs> there's nothing to hang up mandy this is a uh this is a computer call there's there's no receiver it's not a bone shaker what have you got is it an ephus not a bone shaker not an ephus but a cruiser yes a cruiser all day pale ale mm-hmm. because the last time I was at the Amsterdam Brewery, also picking up some stuff for uh, this past weekend, including the crap movie night, I discovered that a, a, a near perfect storm of things had uh, had hit me when I was there. Uh, in addition to having um, Bone Shaker and and testify in Growlers, yes, uh, they've started canning cruiser they did it as a one-off run last year and i knew they'd started it back up i hadn't been in since that had happened i'd actually been in while they had the flats of empty cans so i was very excited but uh, i hadn't had any product in it yet but i got in and of course they had the cans 
and I went to grab a six pack. And of course they use those, the nice black, uh, toppers. I think you guys use them as well. We do, yeah. The, you know, yeah. The not, no killing the seagull toppers. I went to pick up my six pack and what was it? It wasn't a six pack. No, no. It was an eight pack. What? Yeah. On purpose? Like, yep. That's the yeah. thing? Oh, cool. It's an eight pack topper and an eight pack of cruiser was like 2260 or something like that. I didn't even do the math. I didn't even care. Tall cans? Could have been 50 bucks. Yeah, tall cans. Cool. I know. I was like, yeah. So I, I'm still working through those eight and I thought, mm, just to give that a little love, I'll, I'll drink that first. I have something else to have after this, but uh, you'll never guess what it is. Bone shaker. Mm-hmm. Come yeah, on. Exactly. That's a bone shaker. We need to work on being less predictable with our beer. Uh, that being said, I'm not drinking a left field beer tonight, Chris. Oh, I just assumed you were going to say you weren't drinking an Ephus and I was going to have another guess. No. Shall I guess? Go for it. Can I, can I at least ask some leading questions? Sure. Ontario? No. America? Yes. East Coast? Yes. Really sought after? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, not, was... Yeah. Right. Yes. I'm going to say yes. Yes. Uh, no. But not difficult to get. Oh, okay. Um, Why Brooklyn Why... Sriracha Ace. Yeah, that's exactly it. Serious? Wow. What a great guess. How did you guess that? <laughs> no idea. Literally, I just, I don't know. The... To be fair, I did I did build a lot off of the uh, sought after but not hard to get. Cause this is at the LCBO, I think, right now, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's great beer. Yeah, Ooh. I love this beer. I love Sirachi and I love Brooklyn. And I've actually had the pleasure of spending a small but very pleasant amount of time hanging out with Garrett Oliver. And uh, you want to hang out with a guy who's dapper and knows his brewing. He's a, He's something. So very cool. It's tasting uh, great. It's been a couple of years since I've had this beer, so my um, my taste memory wasn't really there. It doesn't taste exactly the way I remember it to, but uh, if not better, I guess. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We got a couple of cases of it at Castro's from the LCBO release, and I haven't had any like you in probably two years, like probably since the last time I was at the LCBO. But uh, I know actually... <laughs> uh... Yeah, what the hell? Uh, when I was interviewing Rudy down at Community Beer Works, he was telling me a story about how he'd gotten a call from like Ian or Lackey or somebody, and a bunch of guys were coming down to, uh, I think it was to see a Bison's game, actually. And, but they were going to come down and tailgate. And he had to work, but he was going to come over and, and meet them just before the game. And so he he was like texting with them and stuff and they were hassling him and they were like you got to get here man you got to get here we've got a keg of sriracha ace what yeah i don't know one of them had gotten it somehow somewhere and so they were really kind of you know popping his stones about it so he finally gets off work and he goes over and he can't find them can't find them he's like oh they must have gone into the game he goes into the game they're not at their seats he like wanders around for a while can't find them can't find them so he sits down to like watch the game because he has a ticket and stuff. He starts getting these texts and they're like calling him out. They're like, where are you? Where are you? Turned out they'd gone somewhere totally else. They're probably at like Coles or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but they'd finished the keg of Sriracha Ace and had gone for something else. So that'd be quite a tailgate. Sounds um, like it. Yeah, it's uh, 
This is a 7.6% beer, so. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if it was a 50 or whatever, but. Even still. Okay, I've got some trivia for you. Before it, I suck at trivia. I'm actually like the worst at trivia of anyone you've well, ever met in your life. One is really trivia, and then the other isn't so trivia, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the one uh, sort of related to what we were just talking about a little. Something very important happened 100 years ago today. That's the start. Can you do you know off the top of your head what that's going to be? No, but I can Google 100 years ago today really fast. Mm, yeah, maybe don't do that. That's no fun. <laughs> no idea. Okay. Uh, let me help you out. Chicago um, Cubs play the first game. Bingo. Really you just killed. Googled it really fast, didn't you? I'm really fast. I'm really fast with Google. <laughs> Chicago Cubs played their first game at what was then called Wigman Park, but is now, of course, known as Wrigley Field. April 20th. How interesting. Wrigley the dog, his birthday is April 30th. Oh, that is interesting. But yep, April 20th, 1916, they played uh, and defeated Cincinnati Reds 7-6 in 11 innings. And uh, what did we get? They renamed it wrigley field in 1927 so it, was, it wasn't wrigley yet but i just thought you know you got rigs yeah that's it's fun trivia i like it thanks i thought so i saw that and thought oh that'll be a good little buy-in um as an aside one of the beers that i took up for the crap movie watching was wrigley's beer and i messaged you or texted you or i don't know what something at the time that i i don't know what i was expecting when I went into that beer, but it was so amazing. I found myself very wrong footed at how much I dug it. The, the hot profile on it was just so bright. I think just, you get this mental picture when you hear oatmeal in your head, like a little switch flips. And you're thinking like, not that I thought it was going to be a stout, but like something like was going to be hearty or something. And it's not, it's got this really nice mouthfeel, but it's a really solid pale ale. So it's pretty creamy it though, right? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like it's, it's a bit like, it's a bit like drinking a rye pale ale, but without the rye spiciness where you get that. It's not thick necessarily body, but yeah, creamy, smooth, almost velvety body, mm-hmm. um, which is not something you typically would associate with like an American pale ale. Right. So. Yeah, it's a style we've enjoyed. Uh, we've enjoyed many times from American breweries, but I've not really seen. I'm, I'm sure it's been done here. It's just I can't think of an example off the top of my head where it's been done. So it's something that's been at the top of our wish list for a long time. We have a few pieces of paper just tacked to the wall down in the office of the brewery, uh, and we continuously add beer styles to that as, as well as beer names to the uh the scribbled notes all over the wall of things we love to make and that's sort of been circled and highlighted and it's at the top of the list or it has been at the top of the list for some time so we were pretty jazzed to finally get to make it and i don't know that feedback i'm i'm pleased with your feedback and i'm glad to hear that you like it but also discouraged at the same time because uh i don't know I, it echoes the the feedback i've been hearing from others that they were they were surprised with how good it was and that just means i didn't do a very good job on the marketing side of things really emphasizing how delicious the beer actually is uh, if people seem to not have a really high expectation for it or something so i don't know i need to figure that out i think it an important distinction to make there it wasn't that i was surprised that it was good because my experience with left field beers of course has never been 
anything less than good and often, you know, very good to exceptional. But I think in considering what things I really like subjectively like in beer, I didn't appreciate how many of those boxes it was going to tick. Does that make sense? Sure. Yep. Yeah. So I just, like I say, I went in with a different sort of mental flavor profile than what was there. And it wouldn't have been bad if I'd been exactly right. I just wasn't. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is I think for some reason, and again, like you say, I mean, there's there's examples of it in the States. I, I haven't had any. And I can't think of anyone else who's done one here, but I tend to agree with you. Somebody else must have. Um, they might not have called it an oat pale ale. Who knows? But... I think for some reason that oh that hardiness or whatever. I think I was expecting something more in like the English domain of pale ale, not in the like American one. And uh, it's fiercely American. So lucky for us, we contracted our hops three years ago when we had no idea what our volumes would look like. We signed up for <laughs> way more than we need, so we have all kinds of hoppy beers in the pipeline. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's great. Not to be yeah. braggy or whatever, but we have but, lots of hops. You know, I'm sure it's. The same with hops, as long as you're very careful about how you define what you can afford. But in brewing, what you will always hear, whether it's home brewing or starting a brewery, buy the biggest or the most that you can afford, because you'll probably need more than you think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like, if you think I need this much, I can afford that much. Go, yeah, but could I afford this much? I don't think I'll need it, but I can afford it. Better get it just in case. Our philosophy was that... Uh... Even if we wouldn't be able to use all of the hops, there would certainly be a market for them. So that's exactly it. Yeah. Just contract it and figure out we'll deal with the we'll deal with that problem later if if we don't if we're not able to use all of them. I dig it. Bit okay, risky, here's but whatever. Here's a little side piece. Yeah. Uh might get cut for timing, we'll have to see. Because sure. we are almost at we're at twenty minutes now. But anyway, this is the next trivia. And this is just because I found this actually while you're rebooting. Shall I get my Google fingers ready? Well, you could try. Uh, you, you could. There would be a way of googling this, but this is going to be more dependent on on you. Okay. I'm going to read you a quote. Okay. Uh huh. His voice often starts out nearly alone, scratchy and shaky. By the end of the song, he's leading a multitude. It's an arc of reassurance through community, a promise that we can get through this together. It's as good-hearted as I'll get out. What? And or whom is that talking about? No idea. That is a very nice review in the New York Times for uh, the Strombella's album, Hope. Ah, oh, mm, beautiful. Nice? I love the Strombellas. You know that. I know you. And I, I know that them. you know that I love the Strombellas. Maybe not quite as much as you. But and I'm going to say this because then it gives me an excuse to link to the video in the show notes and subsequently watch it. But the video for spirits was actually filmed at my church. And so my church figures heavily in the video, which is amazing. Talk about being uh, braggy. You say I'm being braggy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally. am. <laughs> and it looks fantastic too. It looks great. Anyway. Uh, yep. I'm going to include that in the show notes because it's a great review. It's got the video and uh, obviously I'll pass it your way. Cause it's, it's nice. It's a really, Really good thing. And the, the reviewer draws the obvious kind of connection between them and the Lumineers, but then points out that the Strombella's first album predates the Lumineers by like two years or something like that. So it's cool. 
Very cool. Like I'm uh, pretty jealous, but yeah, I love the Snorbellas. I actually discovered them standing in the pouring rain um, by myself at Bose Oktoberfest a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone that I was with had gone off to judge homebrew under the tent because they would stay dry and got to drink a I bunch of cool well beers. I may well have been part of that group. I think you were. And I was like, <laughs> nah, I like the sounds of whatever this is. So I was standing in front of the stage by myself in the pouring rain, watching some kids like dance around in the rain in front of me. Very, very tiny children. Turned out they were <laughs> children of the band. Oh. And uh, yeah, I was just chatting with uh, some of the husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends of the band members and Bless. fell in love with their music and have been a big fan ever since. I totally, totally concur, not with having had the same experience, but from, I think it was probably whatever the main single off the last album was um, that got, you know, a good amount of radio play. I was just like, man, this is, this is just good. Like it isn't poppy happy, but it's, there's a sense of hope, which of course now is the name of this album. I always like that in music. I always have. I, I tended to Pearl Jam over Nirvana as a teenager because of exactly that, because they both dealt with dark subject matter, but I always felt like Pearl Jam always gave some feeling of, redemption or possible redemption at least yeah i can see that a little more uh, uplifting yeah i'm with you yeah yeah anywho uh let's uh let's dive into this you're having a uh brooklyn sriracha ace lovely beer i'm having an amsterdam cruiser also lovely beer and i actually very intentionally um i often i'll just swig from the can but for the sake of today i have uh, let's see if i can do this here no that was terrible hang on sounds awful what is that that was a bit better. There's too much beer in this glass to uh, make it ring well. But I'm drinking my beer out of um, actually a glass, which for a day uh, was making a bit of waves on on the old social media because it had gone on a ridiculous sale at Hudson's Bay Company, which is the um, it, it was it's listed as the Spiegelau craft beer glass, which is interesting branding. Um, it's it's just a really nice sort of pint glass but uh it was a six pack that was regularly 89.99 on sale for the day for 9.99 so obviously myself and a multitude of other beer loving folk uh around canada picked up uh, i picked up three boxes i was just about to say how many did you buy yeah three Uh, we had so many deliveries from hbc this week at the brewery (laughs) it was just cases and cases of glassware we didn't buy them but from the brewery it's just Everybody seemed to catch wind of the the sale, and uh, we're getting multiple boxes deli- delivered. It was a it was a running joke throughout the entire week. Um, I think we have more of those glasses in the brewery right now than we do some of our own actual glassware that we need for selling and pouring into. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> pretty is, funny. Which is pretty funny. Um, but you're kind of blowing my cover, Chris, because I have a wedding shower coming up on the weekend, and I'm gonna. I'm going to use that as one of the, the gifts, even though it's not something that, that was on the registry, just because I think it's such a nice uh, a nice item and a, obviously a stellar deal. It re- I mean, so outside of the value of that one particular sale, the glass is a really good, solid pint glass. Um, now, it's interesting. I don't I, I feel like I've talked about this somewhere, but it wasn't on the podcast. It probably was in a like a discussion on on the old Facebook, but I remember uh, very specifically Mark uh, saying that he uh, loves the Spiegelau tulip glass, 
which I have one of those as well. I, I should say this is sounding awfully Spiegelowy right now. I've, I do do some stuff uh, helping promote some Spiegelow, um, not anything kind of in a ongoing or staffy kind of way, but uh, I do some work with the importer. Um, but this has nothing to do with that. This is just Spiegelow glasses were on sale last week. But uh, but that tulip glass is nice. And Ben Johnson, of course, recently wrote uh, about, I wonder if it's actually digital. It was in Globe and Mail, a bit on um, the Spiegelau, the craft beer series, which is the IPA glass, the stout glass and the American wheat beer glass, I think, were the three that he talked about, which uh, often come in a, in a package set. And because of my relationship, I, I have these, and they're really nice glasses, too. Do you have a go-to beer glass, Mandy? Yeah, the uh, well, Mark and I sort of share the opinion that the, the Spiegelau Tulip is our favorite. Um, it was actually part of the the conference kit when we went to our first craft beer conference in San Francisco, probably five or six oh, cool. years ago. Um, it was part of the conference kit, and it was branded CBC 20, whatever, 11, 12, 13, um, mm -hmm. whatever year that was. And we both fell in love with the glass. It's just, I had never really drank beer out of a glass that was that thin before and, and that's, delicate. That's the thing that, but, yeah. It's so surprising. How... Yeah. It's so surprising. And it's still, <laughs> it's still very strong and, and durable. Um, but it just, I don't know. It's a nice experience on the lips when you drink because it's so thin that it's really all about the beer and the shape of the glass. This is a beautiful tulip. So it, sort of funnels the aromatics uh, right to your nose as you're drinking. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. Anyone I know uh, that I've had to buy like wedding gifts or wedding shower gifts for uh, since I've since I first experienced the glass, whether or not they, they register for it, I sort of force it on them as the thing that they must own that they don't know that they need. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I, uh, I vary and have varied so much in things that I like to drink out of. Um, so for instance, I got a really beautiful pewter mug uh, that I found at an antique shop and subsequently discovered, funny enough, that it was uh, well over 100 years old and more like, I think 140 is the running estimation. Actually had some, took some photographs of it and had some uh, people from the Pewter Society look into it. It turns out it's the only known example of a marked piece by this one particular pewterer. Isn't that amazing? Pewter? They have other bits of his work, but mine is the only one that has his mark in it. Cool. I didn't even know that pewterer was a word. So that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so I drank out of that a lot for a while, um, and then I love it, but I just don't reach for it as often. I also had a beautiful, I call it my Hobbit mug, uh, made by my priest's husband, who is also a priest, um, but also a potter. And he, uh, I commissioned him to make this for me to use at the bar. And I suggested to him that perhaps if he made it, you know, a bit-ish more than a pint, nobody would really figure out, because it's a clay mug like they don't have a standard to measure that against so i figured i could weasel like you know 100 mil extra or something like that this is my theory except that it turns out that when you make things out of clay they when you when you dry them and then fire <laughs> them they shrink they sure do but they shrink at an unpredictable rate and this one didn't shrink nearly as much as he was expecting it to so it's actually basically a liter Oh, wow. <laughs> so a lot. when I drink out of it, I look like the hobbits out of the Lord of the Rings movie when 
I think it's I think it's Mary sits down with the pint and Pippin goes, what's that? And Mary goes, a pint. He goes, they come in pints. I'm getting one because, of course, they're very small. So I, I love that. But I've really uh, I've really settled into drinking mainly out of either the can, which I get a lot of uh, tutting from my beer geeky friends, but uh, or uh, out of the can or, or out of really, really nice, nice glassware. And I'm excited because the GTA Brews Group actually is doing a club buy of the uh, the Rastal Tiku beer glass. Do you know this one? Oh, yeah, I, I like those. I didn't like I didn't love them at first. I thought they were kind of weird and angular, but. Um, I have a, a set at home from the OCB conference. It was the conference class two years ago. Mm. And uh, I've grown to to really enjoy it. Mark and I end up sharing a lot of beers. Like I'll open something that's even a 355 milliliter can and mm-hmm. we'll share it because I'm all about variety rather than quantity. Um, so I'm happy to just share a few sips of something and then move along. So that tends because it's a smaller, smaller glass, it tends mm. to be the, the glass that we use when we're going to share a smaller can or bottle of something yeah i kind of i, I agree i'm not 100 that i love the visual aesthetic of it but i'm curious to try drinking out of it and i say i'm curious i also know a number of people who swear by them so you know um i've, I've never heard anybody say that it's a bad glass and i've heard a number of people say it's one of the better glasses they've ever drank out of so uh so yeah i'm kind of stoked on that i always go back to thinking about uh the first time I saw the Spiegelau IPA glass and I saw it, it was how I got kind of involved uh, working with the importer for Spiegelau here in, uh, in Canada. Um, and uh, they'd sent me some info on it and the claims about how the glass works just seem kind of fanciful. Like they're talking about, you know, the, the shape, you know, concentrating the hop aromatics and the ridged base that as the beer gets lower in the glass, it aerates the beer and all this stuff. And, and I thought, you know, this is just a lot of crap, <laughs> but they seemed really genuine and wanted me to come out and hang out and talk and drink some beer out of the glass. And so I did. And I was like, Oh, actually, no, it does exactly what they say it does. So it, you have one of those glasses then at home, right? The mm-hmm. IPA glass. Do you find that yeah. you do you use it very often? Um, I probably use it. I use it and the one I'm drinking out of, the sort of pint, uh, and the tulip almost equally, and at least a couple of times each a week, I would say. Do you do you find that you reach for it specifically when you're looking to pour pour an IPA? Uh, yes, okay. IPAs and American pales, not so much double IPAs. I'll normally put a double in the tulip. Um, that'd be my preference. But yep, I, I do tend to use it specifically. And at one point, it was the only um, the only of the craft beer glasses. So I had that. They used to have a set. That was the uh, the pint glass that I have, the tulip, and they have a really beautiful traditional uh, German style wheat beer glass. I only have one of those, and it is lovely. It's quite similar to the Erdinger one, with a, a, a bit of a, a narrower waist uh, and a, a bit of a more generous bulb at the top, but it's very curvy, 
and again like the Erdinger glasses whereas like the Hacker Shore one is it's curvy but it's it's a little bit more kind of sturdy um, this is a very flowing very hand-blown looking glass um, I'm, I'm quite fond of that one uh, so I had those three and 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 a pair of the IPA glasses and I would use the IPA glass for other stuff as well um, then I've subsequently gotten the stout glass which is great and the American wheat beer glass as well um, so those have filled in some of the voids but for a spell anything that was notably hoppy was going to go in the uh, the IPA glass including like sort of American farmhouses and stuff like that but I've, I've diversified now so do, would you say that my, would you say that much of your glassware choices when you are selecting glass at home is actually based on the style of the beer that you're about to pour you choose a glass that is appropriately suited to that style um, yeah, within reason. So I don't get too crazy about, you know, uh, like with a Belgian style, you know, gauging how much sediment it's going to have and picking a chalice with the proper depth and pitch of uh, conical bottom. Like, I'm not that fussy. But, yeah, I tend to... I tend to try and keep things stylistically in the right spot. And again, with any glass that's kind of been very, very intentionally designed for one thing or kind of one uh, to focus on one element, uh, I'll, you know, uh, as much as possible, try and use that. The exception would be drinking like a stock for me is like a cruiser or a bone shaker. I don't really pour my bone shaker into an IPA glass that often. I tend to just suck it out of the can. <gasps> I guess when you drink that much of it, it's just practical. Yeah, and... <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. I know. Uh, <laughs> it, it's funny because I know, I know enough about the way that people taste and smell to know that you do get a different experience out of... A, you get a different experience out of a Canon a glass, and then B, out of a good glass versus a bad glass, no doubt about it. And even a good glass used properly versus a good glass used improperly. Totally, 100%. A fantastic story for multiple reasons and totally worth telling. I got invited a couple years ago to uh, the media tasting of the uh, Utopias when it came in. I think it was the second year it came in after the first year when the star blew the cover off it and they had to actually end up selling it at, at lower prices than it sold in most of the U.S. and blah, blah, blah. It's the year after that. And they did a bit of a media thing and I went along to it. And it was interesting. It was funny because it was in um, the private... Uh, not the cooking room, another room at, at the Summerhill LCBO, but anyway, private tasting space at the Summerhill LCBO. And there was two sort of longish tables. Uh, and as sometimes happens in these situations, one table was dominated by um, corporate types and like PR company types. And the other table uh, was all writers, not necessarily beer writers, but predominantly beer writers. And so, of course, I knew 90% of the one table. And so naturally it was going to sit there. And the last seat available at that table was uh, at the very front of of the the room, like right up by where uh, the presentation was going to be happening. And it was Jim from Boston Beer Company was going to be doing this presentation. And as happens at these sorts of things, you know, you're going to get a little grab bag. And part of it is they were giving us the glass that they'd made in in partnership with Riddell for. Uh, for Utopias, and it's quite a bit like uh, like a, a proper 
like modern whiskey glass if you're familiar with those you know it's a shot sized glass it's got a again sort of a tulipy shape um but the uh, out curve at the at the lip to you know get the the spirit right into the front of your mouth and all that sort of stuff. beautiful glass really nice glass in fact i've used it for whiskey until i subsequently got a proper whiskey one but anyway that's another story but when Jim was pouring it, he was talking about how they decided on the design based on what the design elements would do. But then once they decided on the shape of the design, they then went through multiple iterations of the same shape, but slightly different proportions, trying to dial in because he said there were two mostly really important uh, metrics, which is the difference between the surface area of where a proper glass is poured to versus the narrowest point in the tulip. And that there's actually for different drinks, that ratio is going to vary. And the only way you can find out what it is, is to you make different iterations and, and test them all and find the one that gives you the best aroma. And I thought, that sounds believable. It sounds really manic, but it's believable. But he said the other one and the more important one was the distance between the top of the glass, the height, and the uh, the surface of where the beer should be poured. And he said this one's really important because if it's too great a distance, you lose a lot of the definition of the aroma. But if it's too short a distance especially with a high alcohol beer or spirit, your nose gets inundated with the, the alcohol and it's very difficult to get any definition out of the smell. Mm-hmm. That's and believable. I th- That's interesting. So it's interesting because it is believable, but I think our snap reaction and a bunch of people at the geek table with me must have had some sort of visible reaction to that. And he laughed. He goes, okay, let me show you. And went, Oh, okay. Like he obviously caught us. So we'd all been properly poured our, our Utopias into the Utopias glass. He grabbed an empty glass and he grabbed a bottle of Utopias that was still closed, opened it up, which I guess you can do when you're a billionaire brewery owner. And he poured it to the rim of the (laughs) glass. And he goes, and and I was sitting right there. I was the first person. He goes, you tell me, smell those both. And I smelled them and I was like, without a doubt without a doubt the full one is burning my face and the the low one smells like a whole bunch of really interesting cool things he was like yeah and so they passed the glass around and different people smelled it and nodded "Hmm, how about that and of course in good taste it ended up back with him but for whatever reason he wasn't going to drink it so he just gave it to me so i ended up getting like five shots of utopias (laughs) it was pretty awesome but uh but yeah, like the design of the glass is fantastically complicated and important. And as much as you can get a little put off by geeks being pretty precious about stuff like that, I always try and say I'm doing an event with Spiegel in a couple of weeks. And one of the ongoing things I say to people is as you're listening to this and thinking this is sounds like I've drank the Kool-Aid, just hang tight with me because I'm going to prove it. And then they, they, they experience whatever it is, whether it's the, the focused aroma or whatever. And maybe not a hundred percent of the time, but certainly the vast majority of the time people are like, 
just blown away. They're like, I, I can't believe it makes that much difference. And you're like, yeah, it, it really does. It's a really notable change. It totally so. does. And it feels like a, a bit of a fancy pants thing to proclaim and not prove to somebody. Um, but once you, it's one of those things that once you've had the experience of drinking from the proper glassware and a very nice piece of glassware um, or a very high quality piece of glassware that's appropriately matched to the style, uh, if you go and drink that style out of the original packaging vessel or some other type of glass or a glass that's, God forbid, not beer clean or some other way, it's just there. there's absolutely no comparison whatsoever. And so, I don't know, it's something that I think should be taken more seriously. And I think as an industry, we need to find a way to make it feel more approachable uh, and take the potential impression of snobbery out of it. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. I think, I, I mean, and it's interesting. I think sort of, I want to call it standardization. I realize that Spiegelow has this array now of glasses that are pretty style specific. But when you contrast that to Belgian breweries where some breweries have multiple different glasses with their branding on it and therefore very specific characteristics of each different beer, um, I think being a little bit more utilitarian, like, I mean, with the uh, with the Tiku glass or with just like the solid tulip glass, that it's it's a bit easier to to make that that jump with people where it's like, well, look, you don't need it isn't even as complicated as wine. You don't need a champagne glass and a red wine glass and a white wine glass. Like, you can totally not even get away, but really 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 improve your drinking experience with two glasses a tulip and a good pint glass like that's all you need and immediately you're gonna have a notably better experience than if you're just drinking out of like an ikea highball or something like that um or god help you a shaker <laughs> i don't i don't want to go near one of those things uh chris do you find that, that you have uh a great deal of branded glassware at home like brewery branded glassware? Not nearly as much as I've given away or broken, nope. but yeah, I do. <laughs> and does it matter to you if you're served a beer from a brewery in the appropriate glass? Like their own branded glass that they have selected for their own beer? I'm going to say that it matters to me insofar as it's a nice to have. Mm -hmm. If I'm at a bar, and this is because I have obviously pretty strong roots in the bar scene... If I'm at a bar and I get handed a beer in a different brewery's glass, I'm not fussed. I don't worry about it. Um, it's It doesn't bother me at all. That said, if I'm handed a beer in the brewery's proper glass, I go, oh, well, that's nice. Like, that didn't happen by accident. Maybe it did, but we can assume that it probably didn't happen by accident. And that that's that's a nice bit of attention to detail. It's the same way I feel... When I see a bartender rinse the glass before they pour into it, um, that is something that you need to do. That that's that's like a rule. Don't put beer in a dry glass. But so many people don't do that. And when you see somebody do it, you just go, "Oh, that's that's nice. That's a bit of attention to detail. You know, it's doing the small things." And uh, so yeah, I I I do like it when that happens. I know speaking um, from experience, when I am pouring beers at Castro's, you try and get the right. Uh, right brewery's glass and the right beer but uh but that doesn't always happen and you know you, you make do you do your best 
but uh, but yeah, I, I I think I like it. Now I know as a brewery owner, you guys are, you guys aren't too bad. I haven't had any sense that you're like, oh my gosh, I just saw somebody put a left field beer in an Amsterdam glass. But I know that especially because you guys and I'm speaking generally now about breweries, obviously spend a not insignificant amount of money getting branded glassware and giving it to licensees. Uh, you want to see it getting used and getting used properly. So you know. I can understand the the desire uh, to have it used properly, but uh, but yeah, personally, it's a nice to have, not a need to have. Yeah, I sort of agree. It's not something going to keep me up at night. I don't cry over it when it it doesn't happen correctly, but when I do see the glass being rinsed and the beer being poured in the correct glass and being served in the correct coaster and the logo on the glassware and the logo on the coaster is facing me, the customer, it just makes me feel like oh, they really care, um, and it. It enhances my my beer drinking experience for sure. Maybe I've just been conditioned to think that those things are important because who cares? How, how does the logo facing me and it being served on a straight proper coaster impact the flavor of the beer? It doesn't. Um, but somehow or other and somewhere along the way I was conditioned to, to think that that sort of thing matters. Um, well, you know what though? And I'll jump in here for a second. It doesn't impact the actual taste of the beer one bit Mm. but and i i i've been saying this for a long 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 time drinking beer is not just a sensory experience i'm actually wagging my finger right now i'm glad i turned off the video because i would look (laughs) ridiculous i feel like an old man get off my porch but uh but drinking beer is a broader experience or should be a broader experience than just putting something in your mouth and thinking about how it tastes and what it smells like and how it feels in your mouth. There, there needs to be more to it than that or, or not needs to, but there should be. I feel the same way about food. I always talk about the difference between feeding and eating. Feeding is what you do so that you don't die. Eating is what you do so that you can live. Mm, that's oh, good. I like that. I should write that down. I like that. Yeah. You need to Trademark that little <laughs> quote there. That's a nice one. But beer is the same way. And so when you see a bartender or server taking the steps to do it right, that elevates your experience. If somebody hands you uh, uh, a beer in a shaker that's scratched up and there's like the remnants of a silkscreen logo, but it's mostly gone and it's the insides covered in bubbles and there's virtually no head. And I mean, God help you. They don't even put a beer mat down or if they do, it's an old torn up beer mat or it's something that somebody's written notes on and it's all awkward. And that's not setting you up to have an elevated beer experience. That person hasn't put any care into the serving of the beer. It, it's really starting you off on a really bad foot. Oh, I'm making Similarly, the worst face right now. I need to snap it. <laughs> I'm glad that I don't have my video on either. I'm making the worst (laughs) face as you describe this serving experience. I've literally had beers exactly like that. I've had it where that's the case. It was a can of beer and they've, they've given me the can with the glass and the can is like dented up and like, Mm. it's just like, like, did you beat the shit out of everything that you put on the table in front of me? Like, I don't want to order any food now because it's, probably gonna be like battered and bloody exactly but. that's the that's the impression that it leaves right it's like especially if 
if you're in a, I don't know, a beer centric or beer focused environment, I'm obviously thinking about our own business and in the tap room. But if you, if we don't present the customer with a, an elevated experience with the rinse and a nice pour, proper amount of head served straight on a fresh coaster, what do they think about what's happening behind the scenes? Yeah. How much care do we take? And I know there's actually not necessarily any correlation between those two things, but I don't know. I think it just leaves a, a negative impression or it equally as bad. It, it doesn't leave, um, it doesn't leave the impression that you care. Totally. And so, I don't know. It's something we take seriously. We, I, before, before we started podcasting here, I just got back from a, we went out for dinner at a, a small local restaurant that will rena- remain nameless. <laughs> and uh, I was served a Sawdust City beer in a collective arts glass on an old, ragged left field coaster. Yep. And the Sawdust City beer could taste as great as it would directly from the fermenter, but it kind of doesn't matter because the care wasn't taken in the way that it was served to me. Um, to make me feel like the beer was important. We generally have a a rule at the brewery when it relates to any any way of serving, anything relating to serving, but if it's not going to impress somebody, then don't do it. Or if the coaster's not impressive, then you should throw it in the garbage. Yeah. And so now speaking from your point of view as a brewery, and I do know that these things do have costs, but the costs are pretty minimal compared to something that detracts from somebody's experience exactly yep that's exactly exactly right i don't and we're i was training a new hire today and we have another joining the team this week um the the mentality is that the folks have come to a brewery to buy in or drink their beer for a reason um they expect they expect us to know more about beer than they do even if that's not true uh and they expect us to handle beer in a certain way um we're we're supposed to be the experts so that that relates to everything that we do especially serving of the beer um we we have all the resources at our fingertips to serve the beer correctly in the the proper manner uh in a way that elevates the drinking experience and enhances the way the beer tastes and enhances the way you feel about drinking the beer and so everything that you do should relate to that. So if you don't have a nice pour and you just can't get a nice pour in that one glass, just dump it and start again. Uh, if the glass has some ugly spots on it that there's nothing wrong with them, maybe they're just water spots, but doesn't really look terribly attractive and it's not really worthy of being Instagram, pour it out, start over. The beer mat has a, a ring on it or it's a bit moist from the previous customer that used it, toss it out, start again. Um, that That's something we're willing to invest in the beer that goes down the drain and the the coaster that gets tossed in the garbage because it just means that the customer gets a better experience that's Mm -hmm. what it's all about are you familiar with disney's no sad kids policy yeah so for those of you listening if you're not disney has a policy where anybody working at the park at any of the disney parks can invoke what's called the no sad kids policy which is if they see a kid who's sad they can do just about anything to make that kid happy you want a free stuffed mickey cool kid you want some ear hats all right you want an ice cream you want ice cream for your whole family done they will do whatever so that a kid isn't sad 
Because why? Their purpose is to make kids happy. And they have copious resources to deal with that. So it's like, is it, you know, are we literally giving something away for free that we could otherwise be selling? Yeah, sure. But what's the outcome? We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're making somebody happy. You know, it's it's just, it's so easy for people to get lost or get, you know, internalized where they're like, I got to save money, I got to save money. Especially, I mean, a new brewery, a small brewery, same for a bar, you know, your margins are tight or maybe they're inverted, like you're not breaking even. I can understand a desire to mind the bottom line, but oh man, like to what end, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta suck it up. And like you say, like pour out a, uh, what would be a good beer or chuck out a thing that's only been partially used, like whatever. Sometimes you just got to do it, let it go and, and, and impress the customer. And, uh, too often, I think, yeah, people just don't get that. Um, and it's a shame. But there are places that do it really well. You guys do it well. Uh, I've there's always, always room, there's always room for improvement. I, I don't think 100% of our interactions are impressive, and there's always always room to improve it. But I hope that yeah, sure. we're on the right track for sure. Yeah, I've always always been absolutely floored by that level of attention to detail and like customer care and even above and beyonds that you get at bar hop. Yes. My gosh, is there a place that? that does that better in the beer scene of just minding the small things and doing the little extra things. If, if there is one, I haven't been to it yet. They are probably tops. We had an experience a couple weeks back meeting uh, Mick repping for Collingwood. And uh, he wanted to hook up with me just, just as buddies. Like we did, we talked some business cause Castro's buys some of their beer, but, but it was, we were just hooking up for some beers and my buddy Andrew came along and there was a uh, Canada World Cup qualifier on. And Mick had just called in. It, it wasn't going to be a super crazy busy night, but it called in and said, oh, yeah, I'm coming in two guys. And, you know, if we could be somewhere near enough, uh, you know, to the TV that we can see the qualifier match. And we got there before he got there. And we're like immediately brought to a table and like the chairs had been turned and the TV had been angled down a little bit so that we could see it better. And like, is this okay? Is the volume like, I was just like, like they're taking, like we're just there for some beer, but like taking such good care, just fantastic. That's really great to hear. I love those sort of stories. Versed yeah. is another great example. I think they, uh, Versed is another very, you we were 100% right about that. Those lines and how clean they are. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Okay, let's uh, let's let's wrap this up. Let's. It is now patio season. I don't know if you're aware of this, Mandy. You've been stuck in a brewery for a year and a half, but uh, it's it's beautiful out. It certainly is. It's gorgeous. We have so, the door open. Par partially open. <laughs> nope, we have the door open. Wide open. It is not all the way open because that would be unnecessary. It wouldn't improve our levels of comfort, but it is right. open. Yeah. And so if you're listening out there, get yourself to a patio. There's some good ones. Uh, lots of events coming up. Only Cafe's got their U.S. takeover this weekend. It looks exciting. You going to go check that out? I wasn't going to, but I had forgotten about it. So maybe uh, you will see me there. I'd like that sort of thing. Mm, it looks pretty positive. And uh, Spring Sessions is coming up. Uh, what else? There's tons of stuff, I swear. 
I'm inundated, I feel like, right now with things I have to say no to. Uh, that sounds like my me on a daily basis saying no to many things. Say no to everything. Uh, we have some fun stuff coming up at the brewery. Not that this is an ad campaign for Love Field, but uh, we have a fun pitch talks, which is a shy DVD book signing happening on May 8th at the brewery. Cool. Um, be pretty sweet. Mike Wilner, my uh, number one favorite Blue Jays radio host, nice. uh, will be speaking at our very own brewery. So I'm uh, kind of going fangirl about that. <laughs> pretty excited. And then uh, next week we are starting to sell tickets to our Buffalo Bisons road trip which is just about one of the most fun things we do over the course of the entire year. That's a bigger, badder trip than we've ever done. We're going to be doing two buses, one from Union Station, one from the brewery. Um, and pretty reasonable price point, and you get two beers on the bus. Don't tell anyone because it's uh, kind of not allowed. And when you get to Coca-Cola Field down in Buffalo, you get uh, a wicked selection of awesome American craft beer for purchase at ridiculously low rates. Um, almost uh, probably illegal in these parts. <laughs> and it's a doubleheader game, and then we're heading back to Toronto, so it's going to be a ton of fun. Did you say the date for that? June 11th, and the tickets go on sale next week, April 27th. Sounds good. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Good. And then a whole bunch of summer festivals uh, shortly thereafter, and OCB week shortly thereafter as well. Did you hear that crash? What was that? It was my Guinness pub sign falling over because I've never mounted it. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I, myself, um, actually personally, not a whole lot of things going on because I'm just digging out from training, but May the 12th, Hudson's Bay Company, the evening of May the 12th, downtown, uh, I think around seven-ish. Uh, it's this uh, spring fling, I think they call it event. Anyway, I'm going to be there with uh, uh, the good folks from Spiegelau, we got some IPA glasses, and we're going to be filling those IPA glasses with something delicious. Last year, you'd never guess what we were pouring into it last year, Mandy. I don't think I want to guess. It was Amsterdam Bone Shaker and Cruiser. Uh, don't know who we're pouring necessarily yet this year, but uh, we'll be putting some yummy IPA and pale ale into those glasses. You can come down and give them a whirl. How's that for a little radio ad? And other than that, I got a whole lot of nothing. A whole lot of mail to deliver. A whole lot of mail. Well, no, apparently this is the time of year most people don't take off because it's warm but not hot yet. So we're actually possibly in a bit of a dry spell for temporary on-call uh, relief work, but we'll see. I got some homebrew coming up to do. Finally got a new thermometer. I'm pretty excited about that one. Sweet. Yep. Oh, and I drank some of uh, the beer de garde I made today, and it is tasting. Nice. Just lovely. Just lovely stuff. What a lovely reward so, after all the hard work. Isn't it just? It's very fulfilling, especially a beer like that that takes a while to age out. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, a long term payout, but it's worth it. It is worth it. So I think that'll be it. We'll probably do this in about two weeks. Oh, and may I say, because I might have this edited up and up tomorrow, and if I do, I would just like to take a moment to wish a very, very happy birthday to Her Majesty the Queen, number 90. You don't look a day over 88. And uh, thank you for all you do for your country and ours, Liz. You are a corgi-loving champ. Toronto, talk to you in two weeks.